Hey guys, Sklar Brothers here with Daniel Van Kirk. I am here. And our guest on the show is our favorite murderer because she murders this episode. Karen Kilgariff, thanks for joining. It was my pleasure. What a joy. We, talk about, we talk about swords. Oh yeah. Uh, sword uh, stores. Sword yeah. stores. A guy who might have deserved to get attacked. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying he did, but he might have. He's an e <laughs> Athlete, yeah, he's an, an athlete. athlete. That's everybody. all you need to know. That's all you need right. to know. Talk and about Claudia tiny, and her life changes. Tiny Sasquatches, <laughs> tiny Sasquatches, and the Sheboygan Clogger. Which, you, yeah, that, we need the town's help on that one. This is it. It is sword stores, tiny Sasquatches, <laughs> and the Sheboygan Clogger with Karen Kilgariff. You have to listen to this week's episode of Dumb People Town. It's the Starburns Industries Tape of the Month Club. 12 original cassette tapes delivered to your door. Each month, you'll receive a crisp new cassette tape of auditory delights made by some of the most funky and creative artists around. Featuring Dino Stamatopoulos, Natalie Palamides, Johnny Pemberton, Dan Harmon, future ladies of wrestling, Alan Resnick and Dina Kelberman, Dynasty Handbag, Jeff B. Davis, Rob Schraub, Lance Bangs, DJ Doug Pound, Cron, Open Mike Eagle, Ron Lynch, and on and on and on. Subscribe now. $13 gets you a crisp, unique tape in the mail each month. For $20, you receive a portable cassette player so you can listen to your tapes on the go. Here's how to order. For credit card customers, please call 747-888-0945. That's 747-888-0945. Or save COD charges and log onto the World Wide Web at d.rip forward slash sbi dash press. It's a good deal. Audio. Oh, this is good. Guys, yeah. We're recording. Okay. Hi, guys. <laughs> Busy's eating one of her final meals on the... Uh, Whole 30. Whole 30. Listen, <laughs> I wanted you to join me on the journey, Steve. You didn't do it. Yeah, I'm nervous. I just say I feel amazing. You do feel amazing? Yeah. Um, did you make this yourself, or was this like... No, this is from the health food store, Erewhon. Okay, so oh, they like nice. the... It's a... It comes in a glass jar, so you know it's fancy. That soup comes in a glass yeah, jar? That's right. Like just the dry ingredients? Mm-mm. Or it's like pre-made, it's like ready it's to go? pre-made okay. soup, yeah. Have you, so are you able to like, were you able to eat at restaurants? Oh, we need to introduce oh, you. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not me talking. Uh, <laughs> folks, we have uh, another guest this week in our continuing series. I do think that our shows when we have guests are a little bit better. I'm going to say that. The comments are way more positive when yeah, we yeah, have yeah. guests. Yeah, <laughs> And by the way, and the worst rated episode was the one that was just Steve. <laughs> oh, you did It probably is. Well, yeah, busy's very hard to pin down sometimes. Is she busy? I'm really busy. That's she a great is joke. her name. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, this kind of started off as us just t- being hypochondriacs. Yeah. But once we started dealing with actual, like we had Rob Benedict on uh, last, week. last week to talk about his stroke. Oh, wow. Dean Del Rey really to come on and talk sense. about diabetes. That's why you were telling me some factoids about Dean Del Rey last week. Yeah. And now we have uh, our good friend, Emily Gordon. Hello, everybody. Whose real life story is the basis for the movie she wrote with her husband, Camille Nanjiani, The Big Sick. That's correct. A real, like a real breakout hit movie <laughs> of the year. Maybe even there's some awards buzz. Listen, it, it's we're not probably talk still about that. in some theaters, it right? It is. It's for in sure. a couple of theaters. And, and also, they'll do an awards push. Listen, yeah. what? who am I? <laughs> I basically work for the Academy, is what I'm going to say. 
<laughs> no, but they'll re-release it, I'm yeah. sure, right yeah. around the holidays for awards. There's all contention. kinds of fun plans of uh, like, yeah, there's all kinds of fun plans they have for us of like doing stuff around that time. So that let we me kind tell of you people. my experience because my best friend, not to brag, has been nominated for five Academy Awards. That's right, she really this has. year alone. I've, no, I've just seen kidding. her at many events yeah. already this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so here's what you have to do if you want to get those noms. You got to go to the old people homes. What? What yeah. does that mean? The motion picture arts and scientists. Scientists? Scientists? No. Arts <laughs> and sciences. Arts and sciences. Yes. Art- sciences. Artists and scientists. <laughs> Artists and scientists. No, but they have um, retirement homes and th- all those people still vote. And so you have to go do like screenings there and you need to sit with them and talk to them and tell them your story. Wow. And you will get nominated for something. That is Really Sorry, that's a hot tip, guys. That is a good hot tip for, for me and to I you. Feel like By the way, relatable to the to the <laughs> listeners. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like your movie would go over really well too. With uh, old people have really liked our movie. AARP the, set up a lot of screenings for us, which was interesting. And we heard like we were in the AARP magazine like a couple of times. I was, I was very flattered. It was lovely. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I think because we don't have a lot of sex in the movie. There's a lot of the F word, which is (laughs) a bummer. But, like, it's a chaste movie. No one's really... You see people kiss, and then that's it. So... Was that a choice when you guys were writing it? We had a couple of sex scenes written in, and then we thought, it just is such an interesting thing to see a woman, like, boning a dude, and then, like, ten minutes later be in a coma in a movie. Something about it just... It didn't... didn't Something about it didn't work. And also, you... We kind of wanted their romance to feel like this, like, grand, old-timey romance. And, like, we literally had scenes where, like, cut to Emily and Camille boning in a closet. And it just... (laughs) That's not right. It didn't, like, fit in with the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we tried. Yeah. Yeah. What are you going to do? I would... Was there ever a moment, though, as a writer, where you're like, I don't want to have to watch my husband... Pretending that he's having sex with some hot young actress. I didn't in think a about closet. it at all during the writing, which was great. But at the when we had the auditions, when I watched all the tapes because I didn't go to the auditions, I was like, "What did I do? Right? Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. is this? This is terrible. <laughs> this really is how, weird. This decision. is when actors leave their wives. <laughs> exactly. As a matter of fact, is when they fall in love on. On camera, top of somebody. Yeah. <laughs> calling with someone else. Calling women my name the entire time. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. Gorgeous so women. Funny. Gorgeous, very famous women. And him just flirting with them, being like, Emily, we yeah, should yeah, go yeah. home together. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank goodness that wasn't the end of the story. <laughs> that would the be sequel. a real bummer. How much of that movie was heightened for dramatic effect uh, and what's. Only the character stuff. The, none of the medical stuff really was. If anything, we downplayed that. But the wow. character stuff, we kind of changed a, a bit to. You know, my parents are nice, human, lovely people. Yeah. Like, but we wanted them. We wanted Camille to have two people he could really have to like go on a journey with. So we right. made them right, right. a little more antagonistic. So, Stuff were like your that. parents? Did you have to talk to your parents about that? Oh, for like a year before we got like once we got funding, I was just like, okay, let's talk about what movies are. Right. And so we went through like they have to have character arcs, which means you have to start in a bad place right, and go right. to a good place and. Because they they wanted to be portrayed nicely and like and I was like that's not how movies work <laughs> yeah. and now they're like really good at like picking up on like oh that's gonna be the turn that make like they've kind of like get, get movies you had now to give them a little yeah. film one oh one they don't always understand I've mentioned family members and jokes and that were kind of heightened for humor of pop, you know and um, like family members who like wouldn't talk to me well, afterwards Steve, you yeah. know the crazy thing my mom listens to all our podcasts, but she also <laughs> listens to any, po- I didn't even know this, but she listens to like any podcast I'm ever a guest on. Oh, that's wow. terrifying. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know this until after a Spontanea Nation <laughs> aired and my mom 
called and she was like, yeah. busy. I am beside myself. And she yeah. actually, I was working in New York and I got this like crazy long, sorry, mom, crazy long text message from my mother. She was so upset about this story that I told Paul Aww. on Spontanea Nation. I really hurt her feelings, like this whole thing. And yeah. I had to explain to her, I was like, mom, I mean, I'm playing it up a little bit to make Paul laugh and like, yeah, yeah. We're good, mom. Yeah. You know me, like, it, and I know okay. you, and you're not. Yeah, exactly. Like, I just hate it. Anyway, the weirdly, it had to do with being a latchkey kid, and for some reason, latchkey kid. Haven't heard that term in. Forever. I know. Well, it was like it a was real trigger in the 70s for my mom. And 80s. My mom felt like it was like a very, it was very triggering. Right. Did she feel guilty that. Well, she, she felt like I wasn't a latchkey kid. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot. Listen, I definitely was, but you I do. think my mom would also have a reaction to me saying that. Yeah, yeah. But she was not. She was not happy. She was like, I tried to be home every day after school. I was like, I know you did, but you weren't. So. Well, moving on. Sorry, mom. <laughs> Again, send me a text. I look forward to it on Thursday morning. Well, yeah, my dad did not cheat on my mom, which is an aspect in our movie, a thing in our movie. And I was like, I need to let you guys know this. Oh, wow. And, and But what my parents said was like, it would be way weirder if that had happened. And right. nobody in the family ever discussed it until I just put it in a movie. Oh, right. If it was like this like open secret oh, in our family, which wasn't the case. So there, I was like, if you guys don't ever want to talk about the movie because of that. And they're like, well, it's not us. Who cares? We're like. Right. Okay. Good. Yes. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So walk us through the real life. Yeah. Let's life. talk the actual let's not talk, not the romance talk. love story part of this, right. but the actual medical. <laughs> right. You were living in Chicago. I was. How old were you? Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven. Okay. Yeah. yeah. How long ago was this? Wait. So uh, ten, ten years, years ago. About over ten years. Yeah. No. Wait. Twenty-eight. Yeah. I was in two thousand seven. Yes. Okay. All right. And so what was the actual? Okay. There's a lot. Yeah, let's start from the beginning of what you remember. So what basically what was happening is starting at age like 26, 25, 26, I started doing like I started getting pneumonia like once or twice a year. That's weird. Now a 26 year old young woman should not be getting pneumonia. It just shouldn't happen. And they right. were like, yeah, that's kind of strange, but hey, shit happens. Um, and, and you were living in Chicago. I was living in North Carolina and oh. then moved to Chicago and I got pneumonia in both places. And But I like worked at a really intense therapy job in the woods so I was like maybe that has something to do with it but it just would like happen and I'd been like perfectly healthy up until then and it was just like it's weird but here's one thing I want to say about pneumonia too because I know this because my daughter is susceptible to pneumonia once you kind of start getting it you're very susceptible to weird? it because your lungs I think never fully heal yeah. or something or you're just that's certainly true yeah. right yeah. so so maybe there was a case to be made for the doctors being like well that's yeah true. I guess yeah you get pneumonia now. They did not know how to handle me for sure. And I got like a pneumonia vaccination and it was like, eh. There's a vaccine for pneumonia? I didn't know that. Yeah, but a lot of, you should, I don't know if kids can get Maybe it. Birdie can't get it. Yeah. I feel like our doctor, he's very pro-vaccine, as am I. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like my doctor would bring it up. I had never was. realized how serious pneumonia was because I got it when I was like 17 um, from doing like track. I, I went to school in outside of Philadelphia and I was doing track and field and it was snowing Freezing and raining cold. and I, you know, would sweat and then be out in the cold and I Aww. eventually got pneumonia. But to me, it didn't feel like anything more than like, like a bad flu or a something. really yeah. bad flu. Yeah. It can be really deadly. Yeah. It's really deadly, especially <laughs> really in like deadly. young people yes. and, and, and old, old people. people. Yeah. Yes. So I just kept getting it. So, and then uh, Chicago kept getting sick and I would just be like, 
I was just sick and it like, no one seemed to understand what was going on with me. Like I was out of breath all the time. I would like, I was still going to the gym because I'm an idiot. So I would be like on the treadmill, like panting and like, like I would have weird injuries. Mm. Like I woke up one morning and I was like, oh, my ankle sprained. And I'd be like, I guess that was in dance class. But you know, when you sprain your ankle, like it's, it was weird that it like, and I just kept being like, I guess it'll be fine. I don't know. I would go to the doctor and they'd be like, eh. We don't know. Yeah, because you're 26 or they don't really think. It also reminds me of the end of Mad Men when Betty gets... Spoiler alert, guys. (laughs) You know, did you guys watch I did, but I'm trying to think of... January Jones' character. Yeah. And she gets cancer. Oh, God. Remember, and she's just like, bruises her rib, and she's like out of breath, and she doesn't know what's wrong with her, and then they're like... Yeah, and there certainly is. I'm. I was raised. I'm very. I'm southern, and I was very much raised in a family that you are very stoic about your physical health. Like it's like not a thing. You just also being a woman. Yes, we talk about that on the show. You suck it up. You don't make yourself difficult to be around. You're supposed to be very easy to be around at all points in time. And I just started dating this guy, Kumail, and I literally would like be on dates with him and have to go into the bathroom and like kind of catch my breath, cough, oh, and be like... Oh, my God, Emily. And be like, everything's... I, I'm cool. Everything's oh cool. Like, snap out of it. Like, Don't let him see. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Like, I would... And by the way, he gave no indication that it would be a problem for him. It was right. all me. Right. Of course. It's yeah. your craziness. Yeah. yeah. And so I... Uh, yeah, I would have to take breaks, like, walking to the train. And I just was like, something is wrong. And then also part of me was like, you're being a baby. Suck it up. Get back to work. Right. Um, which was also terrible. And I was working in uh, an actual, I was working in an institution for people with uh, like severe mental illness. So I was just a, like, I was with 270 people with schizophrenia every single day and just like trying to like keep it together. And it just, I just, and no one knew what was wrong with me. I went to the doctor time and time again. They were like, we think you're having panic attacks. And I was like, I'm a therapist. I know what those are. I'm not having panic yeah. attacks. They're like, well, then why is your heart rate so elevated? And I was like, I'm asking you that. Right. Tell me why oh, it's, it's so, so elevated. I don't this know. is like, this is also young women aren't taken as seriously. It's absolutely true. In medical profession, you know, medical healthcare professionals don't take young women or uh, African-American women Absolutely as true. seriously. This is, there was just a huge study that came out. I don't know if you guys read it. I'm, I'm I did. very heated about it. Yeah. I'm really fucking upset. But, you know, the uh, maternal mortality rate is rising in our country. African-American women specifically. And specifically African-American women because, well, first of all, they're missing a lot of prenatal care because everyone's taking away all of access to yeah. affordable health care yep. for women. But secondly, they're finding that women who have healthcare are going to their doctors with complaints and things and being, you know, not being taken seriously. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like deep seated, just like you're fine, honey. I know what's best. T- pat you on the head. And then they, fuck we got to have my friend autumn on here. I, I think I may oh have mentioned gosh. her. She, Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Autumn. she <laughs> went to a doctor and they were like, you're fine. And she's like, I want to get my thyroid checked. I think it's my thyroid. And they're like, the doctor's, Doctors like, no, it's okay. Trust me. I, feel like I don't they think specifically it's, don't like it when you say I'd like to get when this you diagnose I yourself. Know, yeah, exactly. And the doctors were like, no, no, it's that's fine. And you're young. It's probably not. And so she lied to the doctors and said, my mom had thyroid cancer. Really? Yep. And so they said, part. oh, well, you should have told us that. Let's check it. And it turned out she had thyroid you ha- cancer. It's almost Whoa. like the equivalent of when a guy hits on you that the only way you can get them to stop is by saying, I have a boyfriend. Do you know what I mean? Right, like, right, right. It's not yeah. that you have to respect me, but you should respect this guy that yes. you, that doesn't exist. Yeah. yeah. You have to become sort of like your own advocate in healthcare sometimes because doctors have gone. You have to. Under- I mean, I'm not a doctor and I don't have any doctors in my family like Steve does. Um, his dad was a doctor. But yeah. I think that they go through so much 
schooling and they practice and they feel like they're the fucking experts yeah and they know best and they've seen it all and they fucking know best and who are you you dumb 26 year old they don't want to be embarrassed by someone out out, you know um diagnosing them it's also true that like and as a therapist i'll say people would often be like it's not I don't know you have to like learn to work with the person you're with that like the two of you together come up with what the problem is because you know your life and I know stuff and that we have to work together for that and I think doctors don't have that mentality as often certainly none of the ones I saw I also was going to a clinic that was like a walk-in clinic so I never saw the same doctor they had a file on me but I never saw the same doctor and so I finally uh there was one day that I went in and I was like I cannot catch my breath and they like Whatever happened that specific day, they checked my numbers and the, and a nurse, a female nurse was like, we need to get her to the hospital like right now. Whoa. Good. And I, uh, I, my first reaction was like, no, I don't. That's so stupid. And then this little tiny part in the back of my head was like, oh my God, there is something wrong with me. Thank God. It had been yeah, someone recognizes months. This. It had yeah. been months of this. I mean, January 1st was the first time I remember being sick, like waking up and being like, I'm not okay I got admitted to the hospital March 13th. So we're talking oh like my God. two full months of like going to work with people with schizophrenia who are in very paw at you and are very intense, like having very physical stuff happen at work and then like going to the doctor every chance I got. And then finally they were like, okay, we got to get take you to the hospital. So I called Kumail and I was like, hey, you're going to have to move my car. I don't know what's going on. And, he, and I was like, just move my car. I'll be out in a bit. Just move my car. And he car. was like, you're in the hospital? I'm coming right now. And I was like, no, you don't have to. Everything's fine. So I literally and just. how long had you guys been dating at this We've business? been dating 10 months. Okay. Yeah. Nine or 10 months, actually. You were in love. We were, we had not <laughs> said it. We had maybe, no, we had not said it. And we were in this very, I mean, as you saw in the movie, he he was way more open with me in the movie than uh, in, in life than he was in the movie like he told me this can't really be a thing because I'm supposed to be married to someone else so we can have fun but like this is not a serious relationship and I was like cool that's fine with me so we were like in a very casual like we dug each other we were in love but like it was not a thing that we talked yeah, about a lot. and for those listening who haven't seen the movie or don't know the story Camille's Kam- Pakistani and uh was basically constantly <laughs> subject to interviews with possible yes Pakistani women that he set should up marry. by his mother yeah um, and so and <laughs> so nuts yeah so crazy so yeah there was a lot going on in our relationship but that he was way more open with me about it but like this can't work I got this other thing going on so uh, I was admitted to the hospital and then uh, the next by the next morning my vitals were so unstable and my organs had started shutting down that I was put into a, uh, a medically induced coma. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and on a ventilator, which um, I will say is the most traumatic thing I think that has ever happened to me and probably Do will ever happen to me. Do they have to all the way down. you or whatever that is? Intimate. Intimate? Intimate. Intimate. Kamel have to okay that like in he the did. movie. Oh my! That was I was. God. They had already put me on sedatives that I was like completely out of it, and I couldn't figure out what was happening. And so he, they were like, "Oh, she can't sign this." And so they needed someone to sign it. And so my boyfriend, my very casual boyfriend, signed it, and then had to call my parents to be like, "Hey, your daughter's in a hospital in a coma. In a coma, and I need you to get and out." And so here. at that point, did they have any idea what was happening? Not a single clue. They thought it was an infection, like I had gotten just some crazy infection, sepsis. Yeah. And, um, but they kept treating me with antibiotics and it wasn't working. And this is all while I was in a coma. They kept testing me for things. They thought I had AIDS, uh, for a while. They thought I had leukemia every day. There was like a different theory 
um, of what was going on with me. And Wait, did the AIDS thing, is it because your white blood cells? Or- the AIDS thing is because my, my body made, I, there was no trace of antibodies in my body. Not a single trace. And Ooh, I had shit. white blood cells that they could see, but they were not making antibodies whatsoever. So they couldn't figure out what was going on. But, like, you know, the theories would be, like, day in it. And, by the way, casually saying this to my family. We think it's AIDS, so we're going to check for that. We think it's leukemia. Like, just very casually. When did your parents fly in? That day. That day. Yeah, from North Carolina. So they, like, took them a little bit to get there. But they – and I'm gone. But, by the way, in a medically induced coma, I don't know how others are, but I – was I could hear things happening and I I could hear that my mom was there. So I was like, I know my mom, I could tell my mom was there. (gasps) What? Oh my God. That almost (laughs) just made me cry. (laughs) I will definitely cry. It's uh, soon. Um, I also had an awareness that I was in a hospital, but I couldn't, I thought maybe Kumail had been hurt. And then I thought, Oh, I've been locked in an institution like the one I work in. I was convinced. So this was like a weird semi lucid dream. You're in your brain. Yeah. I also You're like locked in your brain. You can't communicate though. Yeah, there was no way. And I didn't have any need to. I was like, I'm cool. I don't need to talk to anybody. I just like I was like, I'll figure this out. In my brain, I was like, I'll get this. I'll figure this out. And I had like little I would talk to little people that weren't there, but no way was I trying to like signal the real people because it just didn't occur to me that that was like a thing that could happen. So um but the other and the part that we tried to put in the movie and it was just too fucked up was that I would tr- try to pull out my ventilator. Uh, as often as possible to the point that it damaged my vocal cords because it's so traumatic that your body just wants it gone. Yeah. So then they had to tie me down. <sighs> and we had a scene of me being like tied down in a coma and we were like, this is too much. <laughs> like, yeah, no one needs intense. to see that. Yeah. So um, that was for, I was technically in the coma for eight days. I say 10 days because I have literally no memory of the two days after that but apparently my eyes were open and I was like nodding at people but I don't know um but they figured it out did you still have the tube down your throat with your I did for the those one of those days and that's I think your brain just tries to put that away because it's just it's just too much it's like so upsetting to have something that yeah um but the what they figured out and it was kind of Kumail that helped and this is in the movie as well the sprained ankle that I had that I didn't know about was still sprained, even though I'd been in bed for like two weeks. And so they were like, what? there's something going on here. We have to check. And so that is when they figured out to bring in a rheumatologist because they work on joints. And that is when they started giving me anti-inflammatories. And I stabilized within like a couple of hours. Anti-inflammatories. <laughs> so, what, what, so what was it? So what I was diagnosed with then uh, is a thing called adult onset stills disease, which is a really, really, really rare condition where your body, you have arthritis in your joints, but you also have arthritis in your organs. So your organs are like inflamed as if they were like a fucked up joint. And then your body fights them and tries to shut them down. Got it. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Are you on the whole 30? (laughs) Do you know it's an anti-inflammation Is it really? Yeah. It's great. It's like for people with arthritis or like... Um, Wow. I'm quite lucky that mine is pretty episodic it's a lot of people have it constantly and i don't have a lot of the markers for it and quite frankly there's no way to confirm that that's actually what i have all they know is that the medication to treat it worked that's it so So, what do you do to maintain now well that's interesting (laughs) i um i'm trying to think of how much of this i'm going to tell uh my diagnosis has actually changed in the time since then because I just wasn't ever like, okay, 
I've, I've been like, what I would have to do is just take steroids whenever I would get sick, but I would be sick constantly. Yeah. And it would be like, I would fly somewhere for like a show or something. And then I'd have to spend a full day in bed to recover. And then I could get up. Like it just yeah. wasn't really working. So I got a new doctor and, uh, it turns out that the antibodies thing that was also present back then, um, is still very much an issue. So now I take a treatment to give me antibodies because my body does not naturally make anything to fight off anything. Still. Still. Now it does because I get other stuff put into my right. Is it possible that you were always like this as a teenager and everything? And I was never really super sick. So, And what I've learned about this, uh, this kind of other condition is that usually hits people in their 20s. And so okay. it kind of makes sense to me that yeah. in my 20s I started – uh, like getting pneumonia all the time and I just couldn't get well. And I, the fact that I was in, <laughs> I was in a home with people with schizophrenia that were constantly sick. Like the stuff that I was exposed to yeah. every single day was bonkers. And yeah. I didn't even think about it. Yeah, like yeah. it just, all of them were like constantly having pink eye. They were shitting everywhere. Like it was like, oh you know what God. I mean? Like it just, Oh my God. And so I would get oh pink God. eye while I was working yeah. there and like no one else was. And I was like, I don't feel like I'm like, unhygienic compared to my coworkers, but it's because I had no way of like fighting it. Um, and so that's, what's interesting is like airborne pink eye. Ex literally. <laughs> yeah. And God knows like the clients would always be like a cloud of pink eye and then they have pink eye. <laughs> just every single day. Like if you left, if you sat down when I was working there, if you sat your like can of soda down, someone would pick it up and just drink it. And you sometimes would know it. And sometimes like Ugh. that kind of stuff was happening all the time. They're, they have schizophrenia. They're not like, it's not like they were like yeah. expected right, right. to conform. Right. So at this point, it's like, it's kind of un, unclear if my diagnosis of Stills disease is still the thing. I don't have like everyday joint problems. Did you really? look at other autoimmune yeah. disorders and diseases? Yeah. So there's a, and the doctor I have now is like, Amazing. The one I had before kind of was just like, that's what you got. So if you need steroids, in let Chicago. me know. Both in Chicago and here. Everybody's just, and this is what I've learned since then. The autoimmune world is such that there's no, like, you can't, like, put, like, there's not, like, five categories of diseases and, like, you fit into one of them. What I was told was any disease that a person, an autoimmune disease that you have might as well be called Emily disease or busy disease or Steve disease because all of them have their own markers. Right. So you can't like look for, there's like a rash that comes with Stills disease that I'd never had. And, but that was normal too, that I didn't have it because not everyone's going to get it. Right. So that's, what's a little confusing is like, you don't actually, there's no test you can take that like, oh, test results, results back, you've got this. <laughs> like there's nothing with a lot of these like rheumatological and uh, immunological diseases. There's no test. There's nothing you can do. And Jesus. have you gone the route, I was like kind of joking about the Whole30, but not really. Have you gone the like holistic route of doing herbs and diets? Well, and like specific diets for, there are diets that exist <clears throat> for I have on occasion and all of those things have been good, but that's the other thing is like, since I don't, not every single day is rough. Uh -huh. Like it's not like I wake up with joint pain every single day Right. that it's, it, you know, I've not ever stuck to it because it hasn't, I haven't ever seen any specific results because my thing was more that I would just get really sick all of the time right. rather than like every day. Right. But it's I wonder if it's cumulative, you know what I mean? I wonder mean? that too. Yeah. Did, has anything like this ever happened to anyone else in your family? It's so funny. I ask my parents that now. And like my family is the type that like, like catatonic depression was described as like nerves. Do you know what I mean? Like, right. It's like, yes, nobody, I do. I do. Like nobody's a, nobody's a good like oh, judge of this Oh, she got a case stuff. of the noise. Yeah. She's got these terrible nerves. Like I, I, so I don't, 
I don't know. I have was like severe lupus ever a lupus consideration? Lupus is in, Still? in my family. Uh, oh. And lupus is not something I've been tested. There is a test for lupus. I am negative for the stuff that marks lupus. Which, by the way, they, that's how they say it. You're negative for the markers of lupus. They never say but that you you're negative But you could still lupus. have it, technically. Sure, yeah. Hypothetically. The, the main thing that I was told is, like, as long as there is a treatment that works for you, and for a while it was steroids, and now it's this antibody infusion that I get, if the treatment works for you, that's the, what they're mainly concerned with. My best friend's mom growing up, Emily Beebe, Longtime listeners remember her from an earlier episode. Uh-huh. Is that the anyway. mom's name or the friend's name? Emily Beebe is my friend. Okay. Um, the mom's name is Cheryl. <laughs> and uh, when we were growing up, Cheryl was diagnosed with lupus. She was sick all the time. She had hives on, mostly on, but on and off for, I believe, like eight years. Oh, hives Jesus all over Christ. her body. And she nothing sort of worked for her in the lupus treatment world. And her next door neighbor in Arizona was an allergy doctor. This guy, Dr. Stu Lanson. I don't think he works anywhere. I think he's retired. But she went to him and he's like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to put you on an elimination diet. I'm going to give you these like Mm -hmm. weird tinctures. She went on this crazy elimination diet. He's like, I think your body has like these toxins. She grew up. There's something to do with a chicken farm. (laughs) As always. I mean, that old chestnut. She grew up in New Jersey, I think, close to like some sort of chicken factory or something like that. Chemicals or something like that? Chemicals. And he's like, I Mm. think you have toxins stored in the fat cells of your body. That's charming. Yeah. And so anyway, she did this like super intense elimination diet. She did it for, I want to say it took almost two years, although Emily Beebe is not here to give us the thing, the full truth. Um, And then when she went back on food, she found that she only had like three triggers Oh, wow. Black pepper was one of them, which I, we've talked one. about. Black pepper have, is yeah. actually a trigger. I get black pepper sometimes triggers my IBS and spastic colon. Black huh. pepper can be very tricky. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like black pepper and like two other things she can't eat. And if she does not eat those things, she's fine. She is in complete like remission. Wow. They don't even know if she ever had lupus. Fuck. She's fine. She's been fine amazing? for well over like 15 years now. That's Isn't amazing. that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it is sort of like these are the mysteries of our body. And like, if you get to the point where you're willing to kind of like, I mean, maybe there's a guy that lives next door that's like, hey, try yeah. this thing. Yeah. I don't know. There, It's been, what's been, it's been kind of amazing to me to have this treatment work. I started it like eight or nine months ago and I did not realize how terrible I felt all the time until getting this treatment because I recently was, uh, you know, drank a little and was hungover the next day. And I started crying because I was like, oh, this is how I felt <gasps> all the time. Oh, my God. And I didn't, it ha- I woke up with this, like, sense memory of, like, oh, God, here it is. And I, I was like, wow. I've, I've backslid. Oh, God. And I was like, yeah, this is how I, I'm just hungover. But this is how I felt. I just, like, every single day was, like, I was exhausted all the time. And I, because my body was, like, trying so hard to fight stuff it couldn't, had no tools to fight with. And I just didn't know. And you it. become so used to it that yeah. you're just like I like did all kinds of stuff. This but, is what it is yeah. like to feel. This is my normal. Is but this. any job I took, I always had to be really cautious of like at some point I'm going to get hella sick at this job, and I hope that they're okay with it. And I was like in a writer's room, and I like a coworker like looked at me and was like, Emily, you're sweating, and I was like. <laughs> 
Yep, here it comes. Yep, this <laughs> is. Yep, I'm sorry. Oh, no. And I like, I was like, I'm so sorry, but I was like, I, I, I gotta go. I can't. Like, my body's gonna stop functioning if I don't like get out of here. And then you just have to like go take all the take antibiotics, take anti-inflammatories, and just like hang out and wait. So the idea that like now I have a stored capacity to like fight stuff is revolutionary. And like this I don't. This is the medicine that gives this you the infusion anti- that I do antibodies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Antibodies. Antibodies. Wait, do, is it like a blood transfusion type thing? Yeah. I have to do it at a chemo center, which is intense. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. It's intense because, and I see why people always want to write movies about <laughs> cancer because being in a chemo center around people that have it is such a weirdly life-affirming, beautiful experience mm-hmm. that's also really, really tragic mm-hmm. and amazing. And I've made, I have like cancer friends that I like mm-hmm. see every single time I go and they're always like, "You poor thing, you have to come in every month. I get to, I get to be done." And I was like, "I'm, I the idea that they're thinking of <laughs> right. me is like, you poor thing is like, I'm okay. Yeah. Like I, it is such a, yeah, it is a, it's a beautiful experience. And the whole time you're there, you're just like, it's every walk of society, it's every stripe of person. Right. It's, it's like been amazing. That experience has been amazing. And I'm like, I get why, because immediately I was like, well, I should write a thing My about this. My friend Chris has to do that. He has to go to like a chemo ward like once every three months to get his blood recirculated oh. like filtered like they suck it out filter like it and put back in to get really? the, the toxins out why um <clears throat> sounds we're like gonna a, have him on oh, we're gonna okay. have him sounds on like to a talk about thing? it but he's thing? yeah it's like a blood disease yeah. and um he says it's just really weird sitting in a ward with people who are getting chemo right next to you and you feel a little guilty you do feel <laughs> you a little guilty and the fact that i go once a month like i see the same people right. constantly uh, it is, that's a very, eye, that's a very eye-opening experience, I would say. Right, because you also see them three weeks yeah. in uh, apart, so things change for people with cancer in three weeks. They, yeah. They lose their hair. Yeah, they'll look Ugh. way worse they the next time you worse. Yeah. yeah, oh God, that's... I saw my one pal this last time, and he was like, it's my last treatment, and he had like a little, they do like a little party, and I was like, I hope I never see you again. Oh. <laughs> like, I didn't know what to say, but I was like, yeah. I never want, I yeah. never want to see you again. You're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, did you break my no, floor? No, your, your chair and floor are fine. <laughs> oh, boy. So moving forward, you keep doing this treatment. Yeah. I, I'm possibly forever. I mean, that's part of it. That's part of it is like, I don't, I'm kind of tethered. I can never, if there's a zombie apocalypse, I'm gone. Like I'm, I'm, I fall out immediately. I don't have like the, my body physically cannot handle. Yeah. It's also interesting. <laughs> I know you guys don't have children now, but it's also interesting thinking about, cause when you have kids, they're sick all the fucking time. Yeah. We've talked about that <laughs> yeah. on this yeah. pod. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have long said if there is a zombie apocalypse, all the parents and the young children go first. Like we're <laughs> yeah. I'm d- when when yeah. Ebola was going around, when Ebola was going, remember? remember those days? It felt like a big. D- remember, like all the things that felt like a really big deal. Zika, we and thought now, Zika was going to take us and out. Now it now none of, now you're like that's so cute when Obama was president and like <laughs> all the things we thought were important <laughs> and Ebola was happening. <laughs> It's so quaint. Um, quite quaint. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I when Ebola was was going around, I was like, oh well, for sure, if this really happens, like we are all. I have a preschooler and a kid in elementary school. Yeah, you're gone. Dead. You're toast. Unfortunately, We're dead. Yeah. It's yeah. True. Children are just like They're little germ factories. I was a real germaphobe before I had my children. Really? Yeah. And I'm still pretty. I can be unkind to them. <laughs> 
The germs are your children. About hygiene. That's fair. Like I like I get so like my kid you will rarely see my child one of my children, my two children sneezing or coughing without doing the Superman cape into Oh, the that's elbow. exactly how you have to do it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I just am like from the time when they're just infants, I'm like holding their little arms up in front of them so that they <laughs> It's so funny. I've become more of a germaphobe now since kind of getting this new diagnosis of like, hey, you don't have anything right. to fight illnesses. Well, now you know. Yeah, so now it's like I always am like spraying my hand with lavender, hand sanitizer. I'm that I good, I don't touch door handles if I can I, if I yeah. do, I touch them with just like my pinky. I do that, I do too. that too. Yeah. I am. Or I if it's a push door, I put I put my hand way Ooh, at the top smart. of the door. That's well, a good you're tip. taller than anyone. Yeah. That's a very good tip actually. Yeah. It, it, but it is I've newly I wasn't ever I was always kind of like eh, who cares and now I'm like oh you've got to wash your yeah. hands all the time you've, and it's not like I was dirty but I did not think about it as much as I think about it now do you guys watch the movie Contagion Ugh. I you I think it. you didn't you have a bit about it for a while you did maybe I we've don't know. Seen, have we never I talked have a, about this we've definitely talked about Contagion Contagion's my favorite movie of all time yeah that's that's like very masochistic of you by the way <laughs> But that whole thing that what's her name goes through that uh, Kate Winslet goes through right in the beginning where she talks about how mon- how many times the average person yes. touches their face. Yeah. Ugh! Yeah. And I touch my face all the time. I'm constantly touching specifically my eyebrow. I'm always touching Feels my like eyebrow. That's okay though. That's better than like your I nose, like your that's mouth. Just gonna, I feel like those germs are just going to crawl right down into By my eyes. By the way, eye. that's how crawl. I picture the end of the world like in that movie, you yes. know, where like people the are barriers. scrambling for supplies yeah. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. like it, I always have pictured it as the end of the world coming from a, a virus or a, a virus, disease. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that seems about right. Although now, who knows? Who All knows? bets are off. Nuclear, nuclear are holocaust. <laughs> who knows what's going to happen? I always travel with. Uh, I always travel with both anti-inflammatory, like steroids and uh, antibiotics, on my person at all points in time, and I have them in every travel bag I have, and uh, in like an emergency, like because I, I was like, this is how I have to live my life. And what's amazing is, just in the last nine months, I like don't. I haven't taken any of them. Usually I would run through all that supply already. Are you allergic oh, wow. to any antibiotics? No. Wow. No, I'm not. Not that, not that That's I That's amazing. Yeah. It's weird because my body's like oddly kind of hearty, except for the fact that it's like not at all. <laughs> like, I want you to go. Do, I have something I want you to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Whole30. It's kind of like the Whole30. It's this thing. It's Gwyneth Paltrow approved. So okay. just so you know. As long as it's It's called Panchakarma. Have you heard about this? Not at all. Okay, it's on the west side. It's sort of an ordeal, and you're going to have to find a chunk of time where you can do it. I believe it's 10 days, but it's this woman, and she's like this crazy healer. And you go every day for those 10 days, and it's Ayurvedic. And she legitimately, like a woman that I know who's like who's our age, who has lupus and has really struggled her whole life, has been going to this woman and has been, it, she's like improved her life. Like she was like getting chemotherapy. She was so sick from the lupus. Yeah. They give, we need to have someone on, maybe I'll ask her. We need to have someone on who actually has lupus because I want to know about the chemotherapy thing. Yeah. I don't understand I'm doing understand a benefit it. for lupus this Friday, actually. You weirdly. are? Yeah. Uh, the, the doc, my doctor who kind of changed my life, like heads up a lupus uh, foundation. And so I'm like doing a luncheon thing with them. So if I see anybody, oh, I think yeah. Paula Abdul might have lupus. Paula Abdul. I don't know if she's the right fit. But, okay. Because <laughs> I think she's going to be at this thing. I think. Wow. I think. But anyway, so yeah, so you do, there's like a lot of massaging involved. Interesting. Lymphatic kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. Lymphatic drainage. There's a lot of massaging involved. There's like air that you eat. I think it's like, vegan maybe i'm not i'm unclear i've never done it but i know that this 
girl, this woman that I'm friends with or that I'm friends of friends with has had such a great response for her immune system since she started, since she started going to this woman. She does it, I think once a year now. And, um, and then I've had other friends that have had other, like my friend did it for her liver was very diseased and she like got, she like healed the liver disease. And then another one of my friends was just stuck in a really bad marriage. And she healed and that. She healed that. Yes. She went for 10 days and came out of it. was like, I'm leaving you and I'm quitting my job and I'm changing my life. That's and like, beautiful. Amazing. Yeah, and like had this whole complete transformation. I love it. Anyway, I want you to I'll do it. I'll take that info. Cause I, I definitely, it wasn't until I started, I did not start advocating for myself really until the, what set all me finding a new doctor, all this stuff off is that we were going to get life insurance because we were like doing estate planning and I got rejected for life insurance because of my blood tests were so bad. And my, the amount of antibodies in my blood was like nil. And I went to my current, my doctor at the, that I had at the time. And I was like, Hey, um, did you, my numbers are always this low on all, every blood test I've had with you. So clearly you have an answer. Can you just right. write them a letter and explain why it's okay? And he was like, I never looked at that number before. No. Whoa. That is what he said. What? I never I, looked at that come on. important yes. number the, before. Like, see, you wouldn't know. As well, I wouldn't know. Why would I know that? Yeah. That that's an important number. And so, Took an insurance adjuster. Yeah, exactly. And so it literally is like, as a, like, I, so I'm very Southern. It's to me, I've always always taught doctors are experts. They know everything. Right. You listen to them. And Kumail, who is Pakistani, and he's from a culture, and his dad's a doctor, that it's like, you bug the shit out of a doctor and you question every single thing they do yeah. and it was an, a subject of stress between them when I was sick that like Kumail was constantly like why is this why is this not happening why is, what, and my parents were being like hey buddy you're new here this is our daughter chill out and he'd be like no I'm not going to chill out what the fuck are they doing and it was such an interesting thing to watch them kind of have to navigate that and I'm the same way and I've kind of learned through Kumail to be like finally to be like no you never looked at these numbers i've been going to you for seven years I mean, that is insane and he was like well it's not really my jurisdiction he's like maybe i can find another and i was like oh are you kidding oh my me god. so i found another doctor from the hollywood reporter i swear to god they have like the, <laughs> they have lists of like best specialists they just do a thing and he oh was there so i made an appointment with him and like within the first meeting was like you something is wrong and th- this isn't this is not how you should be living like this is not okay wow. and and it's because i had not thought to like advocate for myself and i was just like yeah how i feel is just how i feel there's nothing i can do right it's so crazy it's crazy but also i think it's very relatable and i think yeah. that a lot of people are raised that way a lot of people think that way sure a doctor says something yeah. and you're yeah. like okay yeah it's also like i kind of feel like I was definitely growing. I had a lot of body image issues growing up and was like a real, real, a lot of self-hatred. Like a lot of like, this body is an inconvenience. Yes. It is not a thing I need to, like, just shut it up, whatever. Just get it through the day. It is, uh, my, it's only job is to either look good or look bad, have sex. And that's, you know what I mean? Like I did not think of my body in the correct ways. And I think going from that to getting sick and realizing like, Oh, this is the way that I get around the world. And if I don't have this, I'm not in the world. That was one kind of awakening. And then the new awakening is kind of understanding that I'm not, I don't understand my body all the way and that that's okay. Cause I, it is such a betrayal. Like what has, what is going on with my body? I feel like it betrayed, it betrayed me. You know what I mean? Like in my twenties, you're it, like, why? Yeah. Why did you do this? And I see fucking comedians who just treat their bodies like shit, and they are so healthy. And I'm like, I didn't do anything wrong. I did nothing to deserve this. I can't. And yeah, sure, I hated myself, but I wasn't like, 
I didn't deserve this. No. And the idea that like I have to live so carefully now and have had to for the last 10 years with little less results, but now better is like, you just get this, like, it's unfair. Like yeah. I, it, I, I can't trust this body to, to do the right thing. Like it's not going to work correctly and there's nothing I can really do about it. So it's like, you have all these layers of like self-hatred and then like deep self-love and like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do this yes. to you. And then like, but also why are you doing this to me? I didn't do anything to you. And it, uh, my relationship with my body has, uh, really, really evolved a lot over the past like Good. 10 to 15 years. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah. I think as a woman, it's it's specifically as a man, it's not much easier. But it it has been very hard to feel like an embarrassment. This event that I'm doing on Friday, this lupus event, I am mortified that I have to like talk about being sick in front of people. This podcast is hard for me. I until this movie came out, a lot of my good friends didn't know that I was sick. I didn't tell anyone because it, to me, it felt like a shameful a shame. secret. Yeah, and it's not. It's no. so crazy. No, it's I not. love telling everyone and anyone about every illness I've had. But this is part, but this is like what Emily's saying is so common. And yeah. that's why, I don't know. I think it's, I think that the more people, that's what happened with me my, with my IBS and my spastic colon when I was in my early 20s. I didn't tell a fucking person. I was like, oh my God, I'm shitting all the time and I'm shitting blood. And that's really embarrassing. And I yeah. don't want to talk about that. Yeah. And I've, especially like my boyfriend, I could never tell my fucking oh, absolutely. boyfriend. That's me locking myself in the bathroom right. to like be like snap right. out of it on dates. Right. Yeah. So I think the more, and I think Oprah was a real leader in this <laughs> movement, guys. She really was in getting us talking about what's happening in our bodies <laughs> but I, this is part of the reason why i wanted to do this podcast because yeah. especially i've known you for years and you're always like mm -hmm. so open about talking about yourself and i was like didn't what? always used to be really it's for me it started with mental health and panic attacks that yes. i've been having since a teenager and never told anyone oh. anyone i was terrified i thought something was wrong with me you and thought it was I, physical yeah. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, yeah. I thought it was physical. And when I finally did, when I was in like my twenties and told my parents like about like the, the panic, what were panic attacks, my dad, God rest his soul, who was like an old timey, you know, doctor from Texas who was just like, Oh yeah, it's, it's just nerves and nerves and got me a prescription for Valium. That was the solution. And wow. that didn't fucking help at all. And so I shut up again and it wasn't until I moved to LA and just kind of mentioned to a friend, I'm like, God, I, I don't want to go out. I get fucking, I can't breathe. And I, and I, my heart starts racing and my friend's like, yeah, that's a panic attack, dude. And I'm like, oh. what? And he's like, I get them all the time. And then I would start talking to other people going, I, you know, this, and they're all like, yeah, I get that too. It was a blessing coming to LA and meeting other wow. artists who were just like panic attacks are yeah. so Welcome. fucking common. <laughs> yeah. And so I talk about it any chance I get. And I love talking about it on podcasts because the responses I get are overwhelming from yeah. people. You know, I was shocked last year. I posted a thing on Instagram about how I suffer from depression and anxiety and I work. And now I found that I do this like really intense aerobic workout every single morning and I get the endorphins from my I, jumping. You were sweaty in the photo. I yeah. remember that post. Yes. It, it meant a lot to me. Well, I was so shocked yeah. at the response from it, from people being like, oh my God, thank you so much for saying... Because I was like, wait, people are not talking about this? Who's not talking about this? 
let's talk about this. It's me. Yeah, I'm it's the one you. not talking about it. Yeah. I know. I know, but I don't. I mean, I think you're very. I think it's very, very common, especially for women and men too, because men have like the whole thing, like you stoic, be stoic yeah. and strong. Yeah, but I think the more look as a society, we got to do all we can do right now to like move forward and be and be okay. And maybe if that means that we can be more open with one another about we're going, what we're going through health yeah. wise. I think w- when this movie came out, I had so many people that I knew casually, like writers, uh, men and women. I had so many people that like told me their stories of what illnesses they're struggling through that they don't tell anyone about of like times that they had like almost died and like they still hadn't really talked to anybody about it. And I was like, what an amazing thing. Like I felt so scared about being out as like a sick person but it's like it's been it's exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. It's been such a lovely thing to have people mm-hmm. be like, oh, well, yeah, shit. OK, this is all of us. Like everybody's kind of had something that they've gone through. And why on earth do like the idea of I felt so alone in it for so long and I'm not alone in it. None of us yeah. are alone in any of it. Everyone needs to know there's yeah. a reason for everything. And it's you're not going to learn what that reason is by bottling it up inside, it's so whether it's a mental illness, whether it's an autoimmune disease, you're not going to know unless you talk to somebody about right. it, whether it's a doctor or a psychiatrist. And I'm, yeah. And I'm such and a, you're not alone. I felt yeah. like so isolated. I didn't tell my first few girlfriends about my panic attacks. They were, were just always like, why do we always have to sit near the exit? Why, oh, baby. oh my God. I thought they would leave me oh, if, if they knew about this. Yeah. Shit. And so it was always a secret. And then, you know, you're like, I'm the only person you feel like the only, only person, person who's experienced this because sometimes you do mention it to people and they're like, what the fuck are you talking yeah. about? I don't, but there is a fucking reason. Yeah. You're not the only person who has this. No, no, you know? not at all. And I wholeheartedly feel that way about mental illness, but for some reason, physical stuff, I, I just was like, I can't let them see how weak I am. If they see how weak I am, I don't what? even know what, what, the, what yeah, happens. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I yeah. know. It's but weird though. You have that thing. in your, yeah, but the brain. truth is, if they see how weak you are, maybe they find out a reason. They can tell that's, you why. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's yeah, absolutely. It's it is a it is a bonkers, it is a bonkers journey. This having this movie come out and like having everyone kind of know. I mean, literally, we moved to New York right after I got sick. So and I just did not tell New York comedians who, by the way, very selfish, love them all, but very selfish human beings. Well, most, I, yeah, most I never like none of them were ever like, tell me about what's been going on with you. Right, right. So I just shut up. I didn't tell anyone about being sick. I just kind of did bits with them, like everybody else was, and like no one. I remember walking, telling Sean Patton of all people, mm-hmm. he was the first person I told about being sick. Mm-hmm. What a bizarre thing! And that took like a year and a half afterwards of yeah. like talking to someone about it. And he was like, that's crazy. What's great now is that I have so many uh, like illness-adjacent stories that I never could tell people because I'd, it would involve like right, another 30-minute yeah. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and now I could be like, anyway, I was, I was doing burlesque dancing, and then, uh, you know, the, the big sick happened, and then I stopped doing burlesque dancing. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> and it's like I never got to tell – I never got to talk about so much because it would involve like this very – I never want to be seen as like this, oh – Everyone look at me and pity me. I've got this really intense story. And and that's how I always thought it sounded when I would talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a weird thing. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, we always advocate how important it is to trust your body and go see somebody. But it's also, I mean, as in your case, if you don't trust a a diagnosis or if you feel like they're missing the mark and you're still sick, there's nothing wrong. And 
nothing wrong with getting no. a second opinion. Or a Seem- third or a fourth. Yeah. Exactly. I always needed the numbers to back me up. For some reason in my head, I was like, right. if I have numbers that say something is off, mm. then I can ask more questions. Right, but which I- is why the blood test exactly. thing was your go-to. Yeah. You, could, you feel you don't even trust yourself. That's an interesting thing. You don't even like trust yourself enough to be like to a doctor. I, think. I still don't feel right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I needed the yeah, hard evidence. Yeah, yeah, so like yeah. going to the, hard. the doctor that time when they admitted me and they were like, hey, your breathing is so messed up. We're going to have to admit you. Like I finally was like, oh, okay. Like now I believe that something's wrong with right. me. And I didn't really believe it before. <laughs> and they're not all perfect. Not all no. doctors are perfect. And it's totally cool to question. When you get lab results to say, what does this mean? Yeah. What is this line? What does this mean? Right, right, right. Like, your doctor never checked those. Never checked. It's so crazy. That is so crazy so to nuts. me. He just didn't think it was part of his jurisdiction. And I've learned that Googling is both good and bad because I'll look up stuff now. And then you sometimes go down wormholes where like, and Ugh. you don't, you can't trust the source of it, it anymore. And they're like, no, that's, I know. that I, I caution people against a little bit. It's a Web little MD. tricky. Yeah. It's <laughs> a little tricky because you can start to convince yourself of almost anything. And that yeah. I do recommend good, good, like rigorous doctors I, I trust more than like internet research. I shit ton of it. I was convinced when I was pregnant with Birdie that I was HIV positive for oh, that because I went down a like late night anxiety induced <laughs> WebMD hole, and oh. I was like, "Well, this is gonna suck. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have this child. And Hopefully, then, it won't like, pass through the placenta. It won't. I'm gonna, I'll have this. I I like literally in that four hours of insomnia, I like looked up how." <laughs> Like how you, you can't have a vaginal birth you to make sure. Things. Like I like went, I went like you went full into H the. It. I went fully anxiety driven because I was so panicked about being pregnant, and none of my friends had ever, had been pregnant. Well, no, no, that's not true. Michelle had had a baby, um, but yeah, like I just went into this total crazy panic. That's the thing. I think often when we have anxiety, we'll find a hook to hang it on. Do you know what I mean? Like yes. even if it's not the right hook, like it was not the right. Hook. I woke up in the middle of the night anxious about fifteen things, and I thought. I never checked to see if we were affected by the Equifax hack. That was like the thing. And I was like, well, we definitely were. And someone's stolen our identities. And I just spun <laughs> off into this like hour long thing at, in the middle of the night. And did I get up and check? No. I, no. Because you just spin. You just spin in your brain. That is absolutely true. And I by the way, we were. I fine. had AIDS when I was a teenager and hadn't even had sex yet because it was all over the news. Yeah. This Ryan was White. the 80s. And it was Ryan White. Oh, yeah. Who Ryan White. The- Blood transfusion. Yeah. The little kid. I saw that movie. And so I was like, you know, I, I watched 14, <laughs> 13 or 14. And I'm like, I'd see that shit on the news. And I was like, I was always the opposite of that up until that's so, what's so funny is like, I would have been, that would have been the perfect candidate to have what happened to me happen. And I, what I just, I never had, I was like, yeah, it's fine. Because again, I was ignoring my body and I was like trying so hard to like not think about it as even a thing because I hated it so much. So I never like, I never was like hypochondriac or thought I had anything until now Lucky. I kind of am forced to be. Yeah. It's rough. It's not, it's not easy to have. No. It sucks all the way around. Every yeah. part, every part of it sucks. Yeah. I had a question and this was while watching the movie when you come out of the coma, I, um, how weird is it? Because this movie, most of it takes place while you're in a coma. Correct. This is a lot about Kamal and your parents Correct. and his parents. You wake up in the movie. You have broken up. Yes. You wake up in your head. You still hate this guy. Yes. 
<laughs> you wake up. You've being in a coma. It's probably just like you. Clo- you're in one room. Yes. Close your eyes, and all of a sudden you're in a different room. I had surrounded a, by. I people. thought maybe a day had passed because I hadn't. I was like having experiences, but in my head I was like, "This is a day. Like maybe one day has passed." Yeah, I had no sense. And people, my friends would bring me magazines and newspapers from the days I missed. Like they'd like realize that I like needed to like. I needed to know what was Catch happening. Yeah. So, like, Blades of Glory was just about to come out, and I would see, and I would be like, did that do okay? Is everything okay? Oh. Do you know that I am one of the writers of Blades of Glory? That's true. Yeah. Are you kidding me? It's yeah. a great movie. It's really weird that you just brought that up. Yeah. You're in it too, aren't you? No, I'm not in it. It's a big source of, it's a fucking, Interesting. it's a whole, it's a chapter in my book. Don't worry about it. <laughs> What a yeah. fascinating thing. 2007 was yeah, when that came 2007. out. Yeah, 2007. That's when mm-hmm, I was sick. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, that's, wow. That's really weird. <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> I'm tied into your coma. <laughs> and there was a fox that had gotten into a coffee shop and had fallen asleep inside a coffee shop in Chicago. And I was like obsessed with that story because they were trying to figure out how to get it out. And it, I kept like trying to catch up to it because it was like all happening while I was gone. Oh, no. But I woke up. Angry. I woke up super angry and confused. That you missed out on and, the story of the fox. <laughs> about the fox, yeah. But everybody was like so happy to see me because for them it meant good news is happening. Like, oh, good, she's okay. Where well, I didn't know hospital. that what was going on. So I was getting caught up to like, hey, you almost died. Hey, you were in a coma. Hey, we had to do lung surgery. I also had to have lung surgery that that time. So I had this massive scar on my back that I didn't consent to or have any kind of say in whether or not it was going to happen because it saved my life. So great. But I had to get caught up to all that. And all these people were like, yay. And smiling at me and giving me thumbs up. And I was like, fuck off. I was so so mean. So mean. When people have seizures too, and they come to from a seizure, a lot of times they're like really angry. Yeah. Or when they come out of, um, anesthesiology wait anesthesia which is basically what i had yeah yeah sometimes when people come out of anesthesia they're really weirdly pissed off i was furious (laughs) because everybody around you is knows what's happening and they don't they're so happy to see you that they don't think so it took me a couple days to get grateful i I, the first few days i was angry real like angrier than i think i've ever been wow and i just but the rage is like that's not that's almost not real. Yeah. Like it's, it would be understand like the rage, that feeling that yeah. has to be something like hormonal or like that's true. Brought up by the, the anesthesia. I the keep anesthesia. saying it wrong too. Yeah. And I also like, I had like all these like streaks in my hair. And so I think everybody had kind of invented this personality for me. And I was just the like, goth kid. fuck you. <laughs> I just could not have been like, people were like, what's up sassy girl. And I was like, get the fuck out of my room. Like the nurses you. and stuff. They nurses, all had yeah. like a relationship with you. They did. Coma. They yes. had no oh idea. How weird. Yeah. They all had invented oh, personalities for me. It's like me. when you meet an editor on your TV show and they like think that you guys are friends and you're like, I've literally never seen you all the time. Before. He or she and sees you like, all the time. I've sp- I spend 12 <laughs> hours a day with you in a tiny little dark room. God, so I listen is... to your in-between conversations with your castmates. I know everything about you. Oh, and that's so crazy. Yes. And you're, and I'm like, I legitimately couldn't pick you out of a lineup. I don't know who you are thing. or what you do. Yes. That's, That's what it's like so to weird show. to me. Like when my dad was dying in the hospital, when we eventually, you know, unplugged everything and, and let him kind of slip away, the nurses would come in one at a time and like be crying. And I was just like, why are you crying? This is your job. Weren't you just coming in and 
checking vital, and, but they were like they're invested. all they, fucking crying. I will good say this: <laughs> nurses are invested. Oh yeah, my they're god, good doctors the best. can't always be, yeah. and it, whether or not they want to be is a different story. But nurses are the yeah. ones, and they're that's literally what in it to help people. Yeah, Kumail that's was why like, people are nurses. You trust yeah. the nurses. The nurses like see you as a person. The doctors see whatever. I had nine specialists, so every single that's what he would say was like every day the specialist would come in while I was in the coma and be like the immunologist would be like well, it's not looking good. And then the uh, like heart doctor would come in and be like, her heart's doing much better. Like everybody would have like a different right. prognosis for me. And he was like, the nurses are the only ones that you could kind of trust. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's Jimmy Kimmel and his wife, Molly. It that's was right. a nurse that recognized that their baby was having, wasn't the right color. Yeah. yeah. And like, you know, nurses are really, we love nurses. So we nurses. Love nurses. I have a nurse friend who said she'd come on on this. Oh, podcast. really? I, would I want love to talk to, to, talk to a, a nurse friend. To a nurse. You know, I thought I was a doctor for a year when I was on ER. I told you that. Did I talk about that on this show? <laughs> no, you didn't. I haven't. No. How have you not talked about that on this show yet? I don't know. That's for another. When the nurse comes on, I'll talk to her about right. it. I really, I legitimately like. You were like if I, had, if I had done more than one season, I would have turned into like Isaiah Washington or whoever <laughs> that was that like stopped his car to try to help a car crash. I like really thought I was a doctor. Well, you can ask people. It was in, it was it was a break with reality. You're a very insane. good actor. That's why. Oh my God. I was really into it and I loved the jargon and I'm really good at jargon. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really good at I, I am and and I was really good at doing all of the medical stuff while I was talking. It is a very specific skill set. That's that's, that's why those procedurals those procedurals are so fun to watch for people, but they're hard to do. You have to it's a very specific skill set. And I just really genuinely thought that I could like save a life. Okay. Like, Have you ever I, played a doctor? No. Okay. Like I thought that I could I did stitch in a someone up. Video. Yeah. Or like I like had a crazy delusions that I could actually do something. <laughs> I bet you could have. What a fun thing that would have and been to try. I, and then I had a thought that I should quit acting and go to well Medical first I would have school. to finish college. <laughs> That's a long. You got a little path. bit of a journey ahead of you. I have a journey. <laughs> I thought I was gonna go back to school. I don't know. All right. Well, Emily, the big sick is out now. Yes, you can it get is. it on all the platforms: iTunes, the VOD, platforms. and then it'll probably be back in the theaters in a in a capacity. I hope so. We're, I hope so. we're hopeful for some awards. You should definitely <laughs> check it out. It's so you good. You want an award, Emily? Oh, you wait. deserve a fucking award. You are in a coma. <laughs> Get an award. Yeah. I mean, how many movies are coma movies this year? Pro- there's probably like one other one, right? I don't know. No, We're the only I think one. It's just no, you. I think We're the, the best coma, coma movie of 2017. For sure. That I could say for sure. Best <laughs> coma goes to <gasps> Emily oh, I would V. Love Gordon. That. <laughs> how can people find you on social networking? Uh, I'm on at, at Emily V. Gordon on Twitter, and that is pretty much all I do anymore. I think I'm on that on Instagram too. You Emily don't v. Instagram that much, do yeah, you? Yeah, I don't look at your Instagram, or you it's, never show up. Basically, I it's right now. It's a lot of photos of us in fancy clothes because we're having to go to a lot of fancy clothes oh, events, yeah. and then uh, videos of my cat. That's those are the I two like things that combo. Yep. Not I'm that. not mad at it. <laughs> <laughs> those are two things I like. Yeah, so check out the big sick. And thanks for telling us the real life story. Yeah, absolutely. And you guys, once again, the message becomes clear every time on this podcast. Listen to yourself. Listen <laughs> to your body. Be your yes. own best advocate. Yeah. Something's not right. You deserve to be advocated Get an for. opinion. Yeah. Get a second opinion. Yep. And get you there. You know your body. All right, guys. But again. Take but take <laughs> what Busy and I say with a grain of salt <laughs> because, because we're, we're no, no doctors. doctors. Bye. Feral Audio. Hey everyone, it's me, Steve, AG, you know.
<laughs> I'm here to let you know that Starburns Audio has a new survey. Uh, just go to starburns.audio slash survey. Um, we're trying to get to know our listeners a little bit better. Uh, and it only takes a few minutes, I promise. But uh, it makes a massive difference to the podcasters at um, Starburns Audio. Believe me, we uh, are trying to get to know a little bit more about you, what you like, what you don't like. Um ideas you may have to make things run smoother. Um, this really is a helpful survey because um, currently podcasting is still kind of like the Wild West. We still don't know a lot. It's uh, it's a new medium. Um, so your responses make everything a lot easier. Uh, it's incredibly helpful and uh, incredibly quick. So again, just go to starburns.audio slash survey. And uh, fill it out. Help help a brother out, all right? <laughs> Thanks, guys. Hello, I'm Kyle Ayers. I'm the host of Never Seen It, the podcast where comedians rewrite famous movies and TV shows they've never seen, and then we give them a read in studio. This is a clip I want to play for you guys from an episode where Langston Kerman rewrites Scarface. He's never seen it, but he wrote a script based on what he thinks he knows about it. And here's a clip. Give it a listen. All right. Scarface, the new frontier. Interior, happening discotheque. Remember when we call clubs discotheques? <laughs> LOL. The 70s were crazy. Night. The crowd bustles with young, hot Mexicans who are supposed to be Cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby. <laughs> There's sex in the air and Poppy wants a whiff. <laughs> oh, my God. Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? <laughs> Devilishly handsome. Not even a little bit Italian looking, so get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV Cribs with the Ying Yang Twins. <laughs> Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would, he even, why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype <laughs> and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs> As he approaches the red rope of the VIP, pronounced V-A-P in Spanish, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> he spots his dear friend who is almost certainly going to become his enemy by the end of the film, Smooth Skin. <laughs> Scarface yells out his signature line. <laughs> Ciao Bella, it's me, Scarface. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>